It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so this show is about leadership, and most of it is not about Donald Trump or that topic, as comedian Jim Gaffigan recently called it. It's confusing and exhausting to talk about that topic, he says, and confusing and exhausting not to talk about that topic. But we're going to try and fail a bit, but mostly succeed. So here goes. America's Leadership Crisis. Davia Temin. This is tough stuff. Leadership is not for the faint of heart. And real leadership can suck every day. It is very difficult to do it right. Who knew it would be so difficult? Well, (laughs) the people who aspire to that role had better know it's that difficult. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? This is a show about leadership, why it matters, what difference leadership can make. And we certainly have no shortage of bad examples, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg, you know, really not acknowledging the Facebook data scandal. Don't get me started on Harvey Weinstein. And of course, you know, New York Magazine called it the snake pit under Donald Trump in the White House. Who better to ask about the vital importance of good leadership than an expert on crisis communications? David Temin is our guest today. She is CEO and president of Temin and Company, and is a frequently quoted media and reputation strategist, crisis manager, and leadership and communications coach. That's quite a list. Yeah. Davia, thanks for inviting us to your office here in Midtown Manhattan. It is a pleasure to have you here. So first question, and, and I guess it goes right to the heart of this show, and that is, why does leadership matter so much right now? We look to leaders to help guide us through both the normal exigencies of life and of work. And they're very important at that point. But in times of turmoil, it is even more important. We all need, all of us, even leaders need a guiding star that is going to help to show us the right way to do things. And I think the morally sound way to do things. And that is why leadership is particularly important right now, because we are living in a very muddy universe. That brings up the occupant of the White House. What do you see happening in terms of leadership in our presidency right now? 
Well, I do have a particular point of view on this, and and I'm not going to hide it because I think it's not the time to hide these things. Uh, I think that um, what America needs and what the world needs is a moral and effective, pragmatic and idealistic voice of leadership in the White House. And I think we don't have that now. When you say pragmatic and idealistic. That's right. (laughs) Well, because I think at the same time, you have to chart the purpose and the goal and the best case for America and all of us in the world. And um, that's the idealism that we all look for, the moonshot, if you will. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we need a pragmatic and effective guide to help us get there. Because... This is nuance. This is tough stuff. Leadership is not for the faint of heart. And real leadership can suck every day. It is very difficult to do it right. Who knew it would be so difficult? Well, (laughs) the people who aspire to that role had better know it's that difficult. So where does Trump, in your opinion, fall down as a leader? Well, I don't think that he's a moral center. I don't think he embodies our best self. I don't think that he helps us envision how we can make the world better. Maybe to a small minority of people, he is doing that. But I think to the majority, certainly to the majority of young people, I don't think he does. And I think that leadership means you set an example on every level. Who are some of the best leaders you've observed in your career? I do think that Barack Obama was a terrific leader. I did not always agree with him on many things, but I will say that I think he he led a moral way of our being in the world, and he did a lot of good for a lot of people. And I think he was a cool, calm leader. From him, I would have liked to have seen more emotion, which I think he had when he campaigned, but I don't think he had when he was being president. There have been other leaders of companies. I'm going to point out to you Ken Fraser at Merck, the pharmaceutical firm, after Charlottesville and after there was just unaddressed racism that was going on, um, he resigned from the industry council that he was on. And I think he said- The White House council. At the White House council. And I think that what he did was he made it okay for other CEOs and boards to do that too. Today, in today's world, I believe that corporations- They do need to have a purpose, a purpose that's higher or on a par with share price and growth and doing well. But millennials are looking to work for places that have purpose. I think we all need to have purpose. And I think that what Ken Fraser did was he showed purpose. I think that some people, critics of capitalism, may be really surprised to hear you say this, that it's really important for the leader of a large corporation to have a moral center, to have a moral compass, and that much of his or her job involves weighing the ethical considerations of something. Well, yes, because I think that no matter how big the organization is, it is going to be far easier for people to follow that person's lead when they are proud of their leader, when they are proud of their CEO. And I will tell you, I have spent my entire life working in corporate America and in the corporate world. I believe in it. I believe in capitalism. I believe in market theory. I believe in all of this. And I also believe in ethical center and purpose. And I think that the two can be married, can work in tandem. And I think we have to make that happen if we want the capitalist system to survive. And sometimes doing the right thing is also 
good business. Eventually or immediately. Where would the Weinstein Company be today if they had stopped Harvey Weinstein in his predations early on when they knew about it rather than just settling case after case? Well, (laughs) the interesting thing is I think they'd probably be in the same place. Without Weinstein, I think you'd have had to fire him. And if you fired him and maybe therefore his brother, then I don't think you'd have any Weinstein company left and it it would have been sold a little bit the way it's being sold now. So I actually think it would have been in the same place. But let me me back it up a little bit because you've written that in a lot of cases you can stop sexual harassment partly by recognizing it and just changing the incentives, make sure people realize that it can destroy their business. Well, if the board is clear and unequivocal unequivocal, no more wink, wink, nod stuff, unequivocal, that this is not acceptable. Sexual harassment, abuse, anything will not be tolerated, period. We will have due process and we will have a pristine attention to due process. But once we conclude that due process, if you have partaken in this, you're out, period, end of sentence, out. And you know what? That makes it very clear. Very clear indeed. Sexual abuse it's a cloud over corporate America. I'm sure that there have been clients you've dealt with. What do you tell them? Do you say it's not just how you react today, but also what you do with your corporate culture? I mean, how do you change a corporate culture to make it less likely that uh, there are rampant cases of, of sexual abuse and sexual harassment? Yeah. Well, it's about leadership. And I I think one of the problems is that sometimes bad behavior has been sanctioned. It's been okay, but it's been okay for the top performers, the star performers, whatever else. I've seen this in um, investment banks, for example, whereas if you were a lower level employee, it wouldn't be tolerated, but it would be tolerated. So that's a mixed message. And basically it says to people who might be who might tend to act this way, well, I just have to get high enough and valuable enough and anything will be allowed for me. You see this with the Matt Lauer stuff. You see it in entertainment. You see it in media. You see it all over. So I think what has to happen is you have to have an equal brush. It has to be equal for everyone, and it has to not be tolerable. And once you've given that message clearly, precisely, and you've lived up to it, people get the message. But what about more women on the board? Because yes. I know that's, that, that's yes. something you've yes. written about. I've written about it a lot, and I do believe that that's true. I believe that that is one of the reasons that boards are changing and this whole thing is changing. You know, at first, everybody, we've got, we're about 20% there now of women on boards in, in America. So 80% of the people on the boards of corporate America are men. 20% women. That's right. And of course, there's still many, many companies where the boards are all men. I, and I don't think that every woman, by the way, falls into this category of champion, by the way, but many, many do. And I think that what lots of research has shown, once you get three women on a board, let's say a board is 10 people, once you get 30% or three women on a board, then it stops being the woman board member or the two women board members, and it starts to become a force. So when this happens, they will stand up from their own experience because I doubt that there's one woman uh, in corporate America today who hasn't experienced some form of sexual harassment or, or whatever in their, within their careers, but I'm betting not too many. So I'm betting that the women who are on that on those boards who've gone up generally have been CEOs or other very important um, uh, 
positions, had important positions, they will have had this experience. And because they'll have a little bit of reinforcement in numbers, there are a lot of guys who won't countenance this either, who are very, very eager to go along with them um, once, the, once the issue is raised. Uh, then I think you've got a force that for real change on the board. And I do want to say one more thing about male allies. Research has found that there are very a very small percentage of men are actually this much of um, harassers or abusers. It's a small segment that does it again and again and again when they're not stopped. The vast majority of guys that you work with, um, that you know, that you, that you, you are friends with, are not this way. So explain the bystander training that you recommend. Yeah. So it's interesting because a lot of what we've learned uh, it comes from colleges and universities because they, through Title IX, have been way out ahead, both in protest against rape and sexual harassment on campus, sexual abuse on campus, and on figuring out ways to, uh, to stop it or to address it. Now, and one of the things that it's found is sexual harassment, quote unquote, training, you know, sort of the check the box kind of stuff that people do sometimes on a computer almost does nothing. What they do find works is bystander training, meaning if you see somebody doing this kind of behavior, you speak up. So we see it in terrorism training. You say, see something, say something. Right. Um, it's a little bit different in corporate corporations or other organizations. But it basically says the first thing that you do is distract the man or the woman, by the way, who's doing the harassing. If it's in a keg party at a, um, at, at, on a college, you say, hey, they're tapping a new keg, buddy. Let me take you. Let's get another drink over here. Come with me. You get him away. You circle back to find out if the woman's OK and what you can do. In corporate America, there are other ways to do it, but basically you stop whatever's happening and then, and then you address it. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with Davia Temin about the importance of good leadership. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to go back to crisis management, crisis consulting, uh, because you advise a lot of, of CEOs and senior corporate people. I'm struck by something that you said in your do's and don'ts yeah. list that you issued. And it is, don't lie. Yeah. Show humanity, compassion, and concern for any human toil and mean it. Make people your first priority. Why are ethics so important? Because they make the world go round. 
and they make the world go around uh, more importantly than money. But I think money can follow. We live in a world today of the Internet when news, information, and misinformation circuit the globe at the speed of light. This is different from any other time in history. But my rule is, if you want people to know something, they won't care. If you don't want them to know it, they will care very much and it'll be everywhere. So, <laughs> that's a, that's, right? That's, yeah. Pretty good, pretty good uh, lesson. So, if, um, if you are lying, it will be found out. And you will look that much worse because trust becomes the currency of the day. With this speed of light information flow, with person-to-person interchange over Skype, over TV, eye-to-eye, trust becomes the enabler of us to move on. People, some people have called it the lubricant that makes our system work and our markets work. And if you lie and if it's found out, and it will be found out, and you just have to guarantee that. If that lie is found out, your trust is abrogated, trust is breached, and then you've got a whole nother game in your hands, a little bit like where we are in this country today. So I'm interested in the psychology of, of a crisis. Uh, on the BP oil platform that exploded in the Gulf of Mexico, yeah. it took them a couple of minutes to even turn on the alarms once the gas and oil started squirting out of the top of the well before it ignited. And they couldn't accept what was going on. Yeah. This is something you see all the time in all kinds of disasters. Why is it so hard, not just for leaders, but for everyone at the early stage of a disaster to accept how bad it could get? Well, as they say, denial is not just a river in Egypt. So my rule number one of crisis management is to deny denial. Because every human being, I don't care whether it's a chairman of a board or you and I, when something bad happens, the first thing we do is go into denial. This cannot be happening. If it's happening, it can't be happening to me. If it's happening to me, it's not that bad. If it's that bad, it'll be over really qu- quickly. If it's not over quickly, no one will notice. If somebody notices, well, th- they won't pay any attention to it. They'll, they'll, and and, and these, this cascade of denial goes on. So in a crisis, one of the things that is super important and also that makes a difference to how quickly the crisis can be addressed and and gotten over is how quickly you deny denial and get into reality. And when you're dealing with reality, you can take many steps to start to address it immediately. And that's what you have to do. So how? How? How do you, how do you change your perspective? Because you'd get training. Right. Okay. So I run an energy company, and one of my plants just spilled a whole lot of oil into the Hudson River. Well, I've got something that I call crisis games, and I've I patented it, it uh, trademarked it, and it is um, where people do role play, and you start to see in real time how you would react. Otherwise, all you know is what is in your own experience. And that's not good enough for crisis. And stuff happens quickly, right? Very quickly. And in your own experience, these problems usually did blow over or get resolved. If you're good at what you do, you probably have never actually faced a full-blown disaster. Well, well, I have because I get called in after other people. I don't mean you, but I mean the typical, you know, the typical airline pilot has never crashed a plane. Right. But I think that I think that. 
Today, by the way, I think that most leaders will face one or another large crisis. It will generally not be one that they're predicting. So it'll be a black swan one that comes in, you know, the hurricane will hit in in Idaho or whatever it would be. It will be something that is unexpected. Let's talk about Facebook. Yes, let's talk about Cambridge Analytica and how they screwed up over the data hijacking scandal. Um, What did Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook executives do wrong? What are they continuing to do wrong? Well, I think the first thing that I think is, is pretty well known by now is it took too long to respond. I write that you have 15 minutes to talk uh, to address a crisis the moment it happens. Now, that doesn't mean you say everything. That doesn't mean you know everything that's going on. What it does mean is that you say something and that you be, and you say, I we don't know everything that's going on, but we are, are totally dedicated, and you'd better be so, to finding out, and I will be letting you know. Sounds like a little humility is required in that situation. Of course it is. And also emotional intelligence. The power of Facebook is such in this world that it's almost a utility. And it is, it's almost ubiquitous. This means that it has an outsized power, and we now know it has an outsized power, possibly to topple a democracy, uh, it's, it's certainly ideologically. So you can't respond as a technocrat to something that is of that big of a man- magnitude. You have to be able to match your response to the issue. That's emotional resonance, emotional intelligence. And in this particular case, we need a diplomat as well as a moral center, as well as somebody who is larger than life because Facebook is larger than life. Now, this is an opportunity for Mark Zuckerberg and the rest of his team to step up to that. Just because they haven't doesn't mean they can't. They can do that. And my very strong suggestion is that they do because we need them to. So what's taking so long? Well, you know, the old uh, paradigm for crisis used to be Tylenol, the Tylenol crisis when they took the cyanide-laced capsules off of the market. So just to recap for people who weren't around back then, there were a couple couple of cases where people were poisoned with cyanide in Tylenol. No one knew if it came from the company or if it had been inserted by some bad person, which ultimately turned out to be true. But Johnson & Johnson didn't wait. And didn't just hide. They were very, very public in dealing with it, right? Well, they were very public in dealing with it. They were different from anybody, what anybody had done before, and they were very forthright. But do you know how long it took them to do this? Three days. They did not move immediately. They took three days to take it off the market. And it was still hailed as the best case in crisis management, and 30 years later still is. Now, if you waited three days today, what would happen? The same thing that's happened to Facebook, who waited for. I believe, but, but, but Facebook took months. Well, yes, they there did. were different levels were different of levels, disclosure. There were, there were different levels of disclosure. But I'm just, I'm just saying, even since um, this, the weekend where it was in the paper, they still took time too much, and, and, and they had some preparation for this, arguably. Apart from Johnson and Johnson and Tylenol, what's an example of a company that reacted well? There was once a company called Elan. They were a pharmaceutical company, and they made a drug called Tysabri, which was the first monoclonal antibody for autoimmune diseases. And um, the FDA, newly chastened after Vioxx, uh, decided th- th- 
explain Vioxx. Okay, Vioxx was a was a drug was a painkiller that caused heart ailments, and um, FDA let it stay on the market for too long, and then they were just roundly criticized for it, and they took the drug off the market. So they were very sensitive to not let drugs stay in the market. So Tysabri was um, in the market. It had it it reversed MS. First time anybody had ever reversed MS. But it turned out that there were some side effects that started happening, and some people, a couple of people died from it. And um, the FDA basically said uh, they temporarily asked the company to take the drug off the marketplace, off the market. And, and really, they hadn't done that for most. Well, I will tell you, Elon, the board, and they were, you know, they were beleaguered. This was their stock price went into a plummet. Everything went into a plummet, everything. They never hesitated. The I walked into their boardroom and you know I thought I was going to have to convince them to do the right thing and they were there before I was I was even there. They knew what the right thing was. They said the words our patient the safety of our patients come first. But you know what they meant it, and they did it. And they pulled that product. And they off. pulled the product. Now they product they they learned a lot more about it and. Um, about a year and a half later, it came back on the market with a black box warning, meaning it was the second drug of choice or third drug of choice, not the first. But And they did all the research. They figured out how not to have these things happen, how to find out about them beforehand, why it had happened. They did all the right things, and it came back. Another case of the wrong thing being done is the U.S. Olympic gymnastics team, where mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that there were some people that knew something awful was happening and they turned a blind eye. I imagine that turning a blind eye to someone who is revered in your organization happens a lot. Yes, I think it does. I mean, we saw it with Joe Paterno at uh, Penn State. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen it in a lot of different cases, often around sexual uh, uh, abuse, but not always. So um, I I have my own test. I call it the karmic cockroach test. It's true, and everybody in my firm knows it, and I hold myself to the standard. The karmic cockroach test says, anything I say or do or suggest or allow my clients to say or do that will make us come back in our next life as cockroaches, (laughs) you can't do it. It's a litmus test. It's quite easy to understand. We can't come back as cockroaches. We have to come back as more ascended beings. Davia Timmon. It's been a pleasure. I'm just fascinated with this topic. You know, I'm always intrigued by how organizations handle failure and disasters and how they slip into into problems. And it's so easy to say like, well, you need good people in charge and to assume that bad things just happen because bad people want want them to happen. And what I like about her perspective is that it takes work to do things the right way, that leadership is hard. One of the solutions that Davia talks about is the need for training, the mm-hmm. need for coaching, the need for organizations uh, of any sort to go through what could possibly be the worst case scenario. Right. You know, so often we hear about how great optimism is and it's important in many ways. But for, if you're a, an airplane pilot, your training involves one disastrous scenario after another. One of the things I was really struck by with, with Davia Temin, who 
does spend a lot of time with CEOs and, and you know, people who've been attacked for being greedy and, and how often doing the right thing and doing the smart thing for your shareholders are the same thing. You know, this is something that goes all the way back to Adam Smith in the philosophy of capitalism is that most of the time what's good for the individual business is also good for the consumer. It's not always true, but the notion that your ethics would make you behave one way and your greed and business sense would make you behave in an antithetical way is rarely the case. And I liked your point about diversity she mentioned having more women on a board could help you see the world differently. I think that's really crucial. It also helps you see a looming crisis better. And yet when a crisis comes, that team, that key leadership team has to be tight enough that there isn't too much diversity. I was struck by that. It's a dialectic. You need, I think you need diversity to help you analyze the problem, see a problem coming before it erupts. But then you need a certain amount of unity that probably comes from just working hard together. Um, and training to be able to respond quickly. And when she says quickly, she means minutes in a lot of cases. The crises that affect companies today that blow up on social media, they can blow up in 15 minutes or an hour. And we've got only seconds. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. If you'd like to get into podcasting, check us out at Davies Content. Dot com. And thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.